one of the chairs around you. Joe is on page 505. So we're just going to read the first half of that chapter. And this is Job. He's been having a conversation with his friends. And this is Job responding. So we'll start at verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removed mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger. Who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. Who commands the sun and it does not rise. Who seals up the stars. Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Who made the bear and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south. Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. And then flip forward to the New Testament into Matthew chapter 14, and we'll start halfway through in verse 22. So that's page 989. So we'll start halfway through chapter 14 at verse 22. And Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a miraculous um, creation of loaves and fish and then immediately he that's Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray when evening came he was there alone but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well.
morning, everyone. Uh, if I don't know you, I'm Kurt. I'm the former pastor of a church here, but um, as of April this year, I now have transitioned to be functioning mostly up at the Wild Street congregation, but I'm part of the pastors of Wild Street and St Matt's. And so it's my pleasure to come back here and preach the Bible. It's a pleasure. It's awesome. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at what God has to say. Father God, uh, we, we praise you and thank you for this morning because we get this chance to sit under what you have to say. Uh, it's always a, just a blessing to spend time with my brothers and sisters after being here for so many years, Lord, and just again getting that chance to have you speak to us again. And so we ask that you do that. I don't know where each of the people are up to this morning, but you do. And you know how to take your word and apply it to their lives. And so we pray that you would. We pray that you would apply it to mine as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mine has turned me down a little bit. Let's see if I can echo them a bit. Okay, so of all the miracles of Jesus, all the miracles of Jesus, which one would you like to be able to do? Which one would you like to be able to do? Uh, for the party people, you might want to be the person who can change water into wine. All right, that'd make you a hit at any party. You'd bring him along and or her along, and you'd get some alcohol. Uh, you might be the person who likes to be who'd love to be able to heal the blind or the deaf. Uh, there's lots of miracles you can do. What about walking on water? What are the ones now? You, if you've been at some match, you've seen this photo because I bring it out every chance I can. Uh, here was my attempt. I was 22 years old. We were riding bikes around the Sea of Galilee and I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if I could get a photo where I was walking on water? And so I walked around looking for slightly submerged rocks just off the sea, just out there, and then I went for it and then Kelly had to stand there and take the photo. Because um, why? Because I thought if I could get that photo, it'd look like I was walking, walking on water and 24 years later when I'm preaching a sermon, I can bring it out and show you on that. Show you what I used to look like. No, no, it's because I, uh, I thought it would be impressive to be able to look like you were. It's impressive. And I think some people with a quick reading of the miracles of Jesus think that's what Jesus' miracles are all about. Uh, they're these stories, these things that Jesus did to make him look impressive. It's kind of this, this raw display of his power. But on a closer reading of the miracles of Jesus, you see that it's not just a, this raw display of his power. Uh, more importantly, the miracles tell us who he is and on occasion explain a little bit about how we are to respond to him, respond to him in this circumstance today in faith. Uh, and so whether today you have not put your faith in Jesus or whether you've been walking with him for many, many years, uh, today we're learning how to have faith that walks in water. Not like that, though. Not like that. Uh, if this is a one-off today. Uh, so we're going to be starting Philippians next week. This is a, just a one-off for this week. We're looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Uh, we know that Matthew was a wealthy man. He was a tax collector before he became a follower of Jesus. And so what he did after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he collected the stories of Jesus uh, uh, and teachings of Jesus, and he writes them down for Jewish readers. Today we're jumping in halfway through his account of Jesus in chapter 14. And we're going to see that uh, a story that shows both who Jesus is, reveals who Jesus is, and how we are to trust him. And so pick it up with me in verse 22. It says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. 
And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, if you reverse a little bit in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 13, you see that Jesus, since that time, had been super busy, but right throughout that period, he'd been trying to find a time to actually have time in prayer with God. He'd been trying to get away just to spend time with his Father. Um, So what he does is he goes to the other side of the lake to try and get away from the crowds, but more than 5,000 people come around to follow him, this massive crowd, because they want to be healed, because he's the healer. And so he comes and he doesn't say, look, I'm, I'm, trying to ha- I'm having a day off, go away. No, he heals them, he feeds them with five loaves and two fishes. But then immediately he sends the disciples away in a boat across the lake while he, lets, he tells the crowds to go off while he goes off to pray. And so you get 13 and 14, you see this picture of Jesus as one who wasn't one who was this kind of uh, autonomous ministry machine. You ever get that picture of Jesus? Like he could just keep going, like energizer bunny. He could just keep going all day, all night, keep ministering. He didn't really need to pray. He didn't really need to talk to God at all. Um, what we see with Jesus is that his ministry flowed out of his relationship with his father. It's as he spent the time with his father, as he listened to his father in prayer, as he talked to his father in prayer, that he was ministering to others. Now, I whenever I read sections like that about Jesus, I think to myself, how ridiculous when I do ministry without prayer. <laughs> when, when Jesus, when, when I think I can do it differently to how Jesus did it. But again, Jesus, his time with his father is short-lived because he's called upon to help people again. And he does this by walking on the water. So verse 23, second half. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch, that's 3 a.m. in the morning of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, so I rode bikes around the Sea of Galilee, so I know how big it is. I could actually ride a bike around it in a day. It's not big. It's about 13 kilometres across. So that's looking across, I think, from Capernaum. I think, I'm not sure. Looking across the Sea of Galilee. So it's not a, a big stretch. Um, there was harsh weather, really harsh weather. They, these guys were fishermen, they knew harsh weather, but they're still trying to cross at 3am because the wind is going against them. And so in the midst of this storm, in the midst of uh, this wind, Jesus walks out on the water to them. Now, now, at first, you could think it's there to impress them. He's there to say, hey, look how powerful I am, I can walk on water. Um, but it isn't. As you go through it, the story, you find out it's more about revealing who he is. Now, as soon as you hear about someone walking on water, you have to start thinking, what is this miracle about? What does it, what does it say about who Jesus is? And inevitably, when we're trying to understand the miracle, we have to go back to the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, to say what the Bible says about God and how Jesus is doing something that only God can do. And so if you go back into the Old Testament, particularly Genesis chapter 1, you see that the God of creation was the one who directed the waters where they should go. So who is the one who has control over the waters? It's God. You go to the story of the Exodus, where God's people are brought out of Egypt, and overnight the the water is parted so that the people of God can walk through. Who is the one who parts the water? It's God. Who is the one who controls the water? It's God. Job chapter 9. He, uh, Job is talking about God to the people who, who are having a chat with him. And he says, God alone stretched out the heavens. And it says this, he trampled out the waves of the sea. 
And so if you are someone who knew the first part of the Bible, which Jesus' disciples did, then they would know the only one who controlled the waters, the only one who could trample the seas, is God. And here Jesus is walking on the water. He's trampling the waves. He's controlling the seas. See, the miracles of Jesus give us a picture of who he is, that he's God, the Son, become man. But it also gives, they also give us a picture of the future, of the new creation, where people will not be threatened by creation, by the environment, a place where earthquakes and monsoons will not bring death, but people will live in sync with creation. See, Jesus walks out to his disciples, displaying himself as God, revealing himself as God, but the obvious problem, sorry, and the response of the disciples as they see him walking on the water is an obvious one. They're fearful. They're fearful. So verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, it's really easy to think that back then, the people back then were really naive and superstitious, whereas today we're so informed by science that we're not into that. But, but what would you do if you saw uh, uh, Andy, for instance, down at uh, Botany Bay, down the port there, and walking across the water? Uh, you'd, 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 what would you think? You'd think it'd be a ghost. You'd, you would think all sorts of things, couldn't you? Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, I want you to stop for a moment and put yourself in that boat. Jesus is walking on the water. Uh, You see him walking on the water. What is your next move? See, I think think my next move is I'm in the boat. Uh, I've been buffeted by winds and waves all night. uh, And Jesus walking across the water is to stay in the boat and think, Jesus, please come and help us. Jump in the boat with us and help us get to land. That's the most obvious thing, isn't it? That's, that's where I would have gone. Peter doesn't. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, why does he ask this? Why does he ask this? We presume it's not because he wanted to get a good photo to impress people like I did back in the Sea of Galilee. You think, hey guys, watch this, I'm going to get out in the water like Jesus did and I'll be, I'll be the disciple who walks on the water. Now this guy's in the middle of, of a storm, he's been all night, the wind and the waves, all that sort of stuff. Surely it's wiser for him in that moment to stay and ask Jesus to come. And so why did Jesus say, tell me to come to you? Well, I think there's a clue here. There's a clue in what he says here. Because he doesn't say to Jesus, command the waves to hold him up. He, he says, Jesus, command me to come to you. Command me to come to you. Why? Because J- Peter knew what made Jesus impressive was not just his raw display of power over creation or even all his miracles that he'd done that he'd seen him do. Peter knew the thing that marked Jesus out as God's king was his capacity to command people to come to him. Because that's what he had seen regularly since, since the moment he met Jesus. That as he'd walked with Jesus during this time, since becoming one of his followers, he'd seen Jesus say, 
come after me, come to me, calling people to come to himself. And one by one, he'd seen them leave their workplaces and homes and follow Jesus. Peter says, if you're Jesus the king, regardless of whether we're in, on water, on a sea, tell me to come to you. Verse 29, he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't question Peter's request to walk on water, thinking, that's ridiculous, Peter, I'll just get in the boat. You don't need to walk on water, I'll just come to you. He shows Peter's request is a right one by enabling Peter to walk to him. See, Jesus' power over creation is not just in some impressive party trick. It shows that he is the king establishing a new creation, a king calling people into his new kingdom. And so at the command of Jesus, Peter steps out of the boat and walks to him. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, as he gets close to Jesus, we presume he's in striking distance of Jesus, probably within a hand's distance of Jesus, he starts to sink. Now, why does he start to sink? It says here he, he looked at the storm. So the storm had always been there. But when Jesus had walked out on the water, he focused on Jesus, and it was like the fear of the storm went into the background. And so he walked in faith with his eyes set on Jesus. But it says, as he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid. He took his eyes off Jesus. He looked at them and began to sink. It was the storm that entered the center of his vision and Jesus went into the background. And he was afraid. And he was sinking. But even in his sinking, even in his doubt, he still cries out, Lord, save me. So even though he doesn't, think he can keep standing because of the wind and the waves, he still trusts that Jesus can and that he can save him. Verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him and saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Jesus is not saying, Peter, you didn't have any faith. He says, Oh, you of little faith. For Peter had stepped out of the boat, he'd walked to Jesus on the water, he cried out for help, a response of faith. What he's saying to Peter is, your faith didn't last. You trusted me when you were in the boat. You trusted me as you were walking on the water. But then when the wind and the waves came into your focus and I went into the periphery, you doubted. You started to question who I was. See, Jesus is saying to Peter, you can trust me. You can trust me. I am the king of this world. I am the one who can save. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They're in the boat. They've just seen Jesus walk on the water. They've just seen one of his friends walk out on the water to him get back in the boat and they recognise it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's God 
worship him. It is the powerful thing of creation, he says. Now, if this morning you're someone who is still exploring Jesus, then these miracle stories to you might sound way out there, really far-fetched. Mythical creations, in a sense, made by his followers to make their religion more popular. You know, if you wanted to boot the ranking of your guy, your religious leader, you know, you throw in a whole bunch of crazy stories about him doing good things. So he'd get up the rankings, so he's almost like superhero-like to make him impressive. Maybe that's what you think these miracle stories are all about. They're kind of these fictitious marketing accounts by these disciples. See, I think that argument would actually hold weight. It'd actually be fair dinkum if the only accounts of Jesus we ever had were these miracle accounts. Imagine the, the New Testament just had a whole bunch of stories of Jesus doing these miracles. And then we went around to people saying, follow Jesus because he does all these miracles. But as you keep reading the accounts of Jesus, you find out the miracle man with the power over death itself gets tortured, gets flogged, gets executed and rejected in the most shameful of ways on a cross. See, if this was an attempt by these guys to market, popularise this guy Jesus, their teacher, through mythical stories, you don't mention the cross. (laughs) You don't mention those times where he looked weak. You don't mention his shameful death. You see, the reason these stories are here is not to impress but they are to show you who he is that Jesus was God became one of us to save us not just Peter to save all those who like Peter cry out to him save me Jesus all of us who are in a sense in a sense drowning in our own rebellion against God and living our own way helpless unable to live without rejecting him Jesus the one who has power over creation and over death died in our place that we might be restored to relationship with the Lord. That we might put our trust in him. If this morning you are someone who hasn't put your trust in Jesus, cried out to him, reached out to his hands, then I encourage you to do that today. But for those who have put our trust in Jesus, this passage is also instructive on how we how we respond to this Jesus, how we have faith in this Jesus. And I'm going to pull three final things out of this. The first one is, faith is, what we see in this passage is faith is empowered by Jesus. It's empowered by Jesus. Peter says, Jesus, command me to come to you. See, Peter knows his capacity to go to Jesus, even through a storm, is dependent on Jesus commanding him to come. Hebrews says it this way. It says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. If you are a follower of Jesus today, it's not because you are more moral. You have this more moral, you have a greater moral capacity than other people. It's not because you're smarter and you've kind of figured out Jesus from the Gospels. You've deciphered the codes. It's not because you're naturally more religious. Um, you've got a part of your brain that's, that enables you to have faith more. I've heard people explain that before. They've said, oh, you're a faith person because of the part of your brain that's more t- tuned into faith. It's not because of that. It's because Jesus called you. 
And as, as he called you, he enabled you to set your eyes on him so that you might be empowered to trust him to be saved. See, that's the nature of Christian faith. Faith is not super positive thinking about your situation. You kind of get that sometimes from the movies, lots of Disney movies. It's all about believing yourself and having faith in yourself and looking at the winds of waves of life, the storms of life and looking within and facing, having the courage to face them. See, faith is focusing on Jesus, not on yourself. It's focusing on Jesus, his promises, his power, his person. As someone who walks with people who struggle, as a pastor, as someone who walks with people who are struggling with sin, what I find over and over again is I know when a person is in really bad shape, when instead of focusing on Jesus, they're focusing on their situation, or they're focusing on their sin, or they're focusing on their self and their capacity to get through. They'll say to me things like, I just don't think I can do this anymore. I just, I just don't think, I just don't, I just think my sin is too big. And so my job as a pastor is to keep saying to them, look at Jesus. Look at him. Faith doesn't come when we look into ourselves and say, I've got to be a person of more and more faith. It comes when we look at him. He enables faith. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Number two, faith involves both feet. Peter had to get out of the boat and walk. It was not enough for him to be in the boat, shove one foot out, just test to see whether it holds it up and put it back in. I had this really helpful definition of faith years ago. It was faith is this, dependence to the point of vulnerability. Dependence to the point of vulnerability. I, I talked to my mate recently who was struggling with this idea of what it means to have relationship. What it, who's struggling with what it feels like to have a relationship with God. Because he doesn't necessarily, he said he doesn't necessarily feel this kind of joy or, or love all the time. And so as we were talking about, I was saying, what do you think is the normal feeling for a Christian as you're doing a relationship with God? And as we, as we chatted together, we came to the conclusion, one of the significant ways you feel as someone in relationship with God is dependent. Dependent to the point, vulnerable. Dependent to the point of vulnerability. You, you, you feel like, oh God, I need your help. See, it's not just saying the right words that make it faith. It is trusting Jesus, stepping out with both feet in the big and small decisions of life. It's stepping out of the boat in your relationships and deciding to love that person who's really difficult to love. It's stepping out of the boat in your workplace and speaking to them about Jesus. It's stepping out of the boat with your neighbours and inviting them to church. It's stepping out of the boat with your career and choosing to take a career path that will mean you don't have necessarily as much money, but you're able to serve others more faithfully. Faith involves both feet. Secondly, sorry, thirdly, faith will involve doubt, storms, and fear. See, the sea did not become concrete. <laughs> it's not that Jesus said, all right, or he turned to ice, you know, so he could walk out and land, just walk across. And no, it was still wind and waves. They stayed the same. And so we should expect fear. We should expect storms, doubt will be a normal part of what it means to walk by faith. I wonder what storms you're struggling with at the moment. What doubts are filling your mind? 
so easy in the midst of that to start looking at the wind and the waves. It's so easy in that time to start looking within yourself to find strength rather than keeping your eyes on Jesus. What's really encouraging, what's really encouraging in this passage is that uh, is when Peter is sinking, he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus holds his hand. However deep in doubt you might be, you know, listen, sometimes our world seems to scream at us that God is not in control, that he's not good, and that he can't be trusted. When we go through suffering, that is often the case. It feels like God is just screaming at us. Like, sorry, God's not. The world is screaming at us that. And it's really easy in that moment, to, as, even as a Christian, being able to say, hang in there, you. But struggle with extreme doubt. Be encouraged that even in your extreme doubt, Jesus is right there. He can grab your hand. He will hold you. Trust Jesus and know he is trustworthy. You can get out of the boat and walk on the water. And this, this is a passage. The reason I, pro- I chose this passage today is because uh, probably about eight weeks ago, no, probably three months ago, actually, three months ago, it, this passage really changed me. Um, for those who don't know, I have a degenerative disease called Parkinson's. And one of the difficulties for me is, is a bunch of different physical difficulties and mental difficulties. I uh, have different tremors in parts of my body have this physical sense of anxiety that I live with on and off. Um, I have involuntary movements in my arms. Um, and one of the results is that you, that you want to pull back from people, um, kind of hide away. Socially, you feel sometimes a bit of a sense of shame when people look at you and you, and you kind of shake or tremor. Uh, emotionally, you don't want to have the stress of that. And, and overall, you just kind of feel weak and useless. So you, kind of want to withdraw from society, withdraw from doing things that do. And for me personally, it's meant I've I've been reticent to do the things I know God's called me to do and to be used in the way God's called me to be used for the fear of appearing weak. And so three months ago, as I was at a conference and I heard this passage preached, I feel like God said to me really, really clearly, both feet first. Both feet first. See, I'd realised that what I had been doing was putting one foot back in the boat. It was too hard to put two feet out. I don't want to feel vulnerable. I don't want to feel weak. But he was saying to me, church, two feet, both feet, in the midst of your storm, trust me in your weakness. Keep your eyes focused on me. See, this water walking that I did here, that, w- that was just to be impressive. But true water walking by faith, living independent trust in Jesus, is not about me being impressive. It involves me being weak. It involves me being dependent. It involves me being vulnerable. And it will be the same for you as well. Friends, I don't know your storms, but God is calling you today to take two feet out of the boat and trust him. This morning, uh, after our final song, I'm not going to be here, but 
if you'd like to come and pray with someone, then please come and rough mark. He said that he's willing to pray. If you'd like to pray with someone about the storms in your life, if you have fears you need to pray for, if, if you feel like you're drowning and you're struggling with doubt, if you want to ask a prayer that you'd put two feet out of the boat, then please come and be prayed for. Or pray with each other. Find someone to pray with each other. Let me pray. Father God, we just... We're so thankful that you're a God who walks on water. That you are all-powerful. And yet at the same time, you use all of that power to save us. That we might rely on you. That we might put two feet out of the boat. Father, I don't know what, where these people are up to today, but you do. You know those whom today you are calling that have two feet out. You know those whom today have not put their trust in Jesus for the first time. You know those whom today who are struggling with the storms of life and have lost their focus from Jesus and have started looking at themselves or their struggles. Father, give us hope. Give us help. We need it. Help us to focus on you, Jesus, and trust you in the midst of the storm. Help us to walk by faith. In Jesus' name.